Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, today's guest is Jeff Merritt. Jeff and I are both on the ski patrol at Gore Mountain in upstate New York. We have known each other in that capacity for over 20 years. Jeff is a full-time paid patroller, and I'm a volunteer. But during the summer season, Jeff runs a whitewater rafting company that takes customers on trips down the upper Hudson River. Jeff and I discussed how he got started in the rafting business and its joys and challenges. But Bela, before we begin, we'd like to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Thanks, Bela. So with that, let's move to the interview with Jeff Merritt. Hello, listeners. Today I'm here with Jeff Merritt. Uh, Jeff and I have been on the ski patrol at Gore Mountain in upstate New York together for 20 plus years. So we've known each other for a while. Uh, but in addition to being a full-time ski patrolman in the winter, Jeff also runs a Adirondack Adventures. Uh, and I will let him explain uh, what that business is. And that'll be the subject of today's podcast. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Bela. It's great to be here. Oh, wonderful. So uh, tell our listeners what Adirondack Adventures is. Sure thing. I was a, a whitewater raft guide in my younger days and uh, eventually started my own business, Adirondack Adventures. Our mo- main focus would be uh, guided trips on the Hudson River Gorge up here in upstate New York. But we do some other stuff, some paddling uh, activities, some instruction, rentals, etc. So you started as a river guide working for someone else. That is correct. And then, so was there like a moment in time where you said, gee, I want to get into this, I want to own the business myself? You know, I'm trying to remember that that moment, but basically it's similar to that. It was actually, we were out on an extended raft trip on the Grand Canyon, and two of my buddies that owned a store for retail outdoor goods uh, came up with the idea, and next thing I know, I jumped right in. So did you start this business or did you acquire it from someone else? The three of us started a business together. And over the past uh, 20 years, uh, I've been separated from both of them. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Small businesses. Yeah, yeah, sure. So how does one start a rafting business? What do you need to do? Well, I'm sure this is pretty true in most areas. Uh, There's going to be regulations. So you're going to have to typically buy out another company. Some areas will be expensive and some won't be too bad. Oh, is that, be, is that because uh, it's like taxi cab medallions? There's a finite number you, that the, the ex- regulatory agency Exactly, Baylor. There's regulations. So like here on the Hudson, we, have, we call them slots. So there's X amount. There's a finite number. And they're divvied up based on the companies that are currently here. Oh, I see. And who uh, does uh, Department of Environmental Conservation regulate? Who regulates that? That's going to depend on where you are. So we're, we're involved here with, well, the state of New York is involved. The Department of Encon is somewhat involved, and then the town of Indian Lake, which controls a small state-owned dam. Uh, but I know, like, you go out west, it could be a National Park Service. So there's, there's many different regulatory areas to deal with. Okay, so in addition to sort of getting slots, what other sort of regulatory hoops do you need to jump through? Well, I, I think the rest is probably fairly standard to business. You're going to need insurances. You're going to need to, uh, uh, you know, set up your 
legal activities or whether you be an LLC. I started as a DBA and then moved on to LLC pretty quick. Um, so there's all that, is, which is common for any business. And, of course, you're going to probably need some capital. Yeah, yeah. So um, if I wanted to go on one of these trips, uh, talk me through that experience, because all of our listeners may not know about rafting on the up, Upper Hudson or anything like that. Sure, sure. We'll start with our, our trip here on the Hudson, our main gig, the, the rafted, the guided trip. It's an all-day activity. It's actually a fairly well-known trip for being very continuous whitewater, one of the top 10 runs in the country. Um, basically, you're going to need a reservation. So uh, phone calls are great. That's a, a nice way to talk to somebody, meet somebody. But obviously, people like to do it online as well, and there's plenty of information there. Uh, for, as far as our company, you could go to www.adkadventures.com. Um, but yeah, so you'll get some information. You make a reservation. Uh, and then a typical day, you show up, get geared up for the trip, head out. We have about a 25-minute ride in the morning on our buses. Uh, you'll get Water time somewhere around 10, 30, 11 behind a dam, and bam, you're off to great, fun, exciting Class 3-plus whitewater, depending on the time of year. Uh, we'll stop and do a lunch break. Our trips, based on our location, will stop right across the street, which is super convenient, and you'll end up, you know, 2, 30, 3, 30 in the afternoon, a full day. Uh, great trip for the family during the summertime. Okay, yeah, so your business, where we are today, is right here on the shore of the Hudson River, so your your rafts end up right here, and then they just walk across the road here, and uh, they're right where their car was. And and that is a big thing for location. And yes, you're correct. As I look over your shoulder, I'm looking at our takeout and river. A little bit icy right now, but yes, that's correct. Yeah. So if I come on one of these trips, what do I need to bring as a customer? Well, as, as again, you know, we do through the reservation system. You'll get a quick email or whatever that does give you your info. But pretty much depending on the time of year. So in the summer, you're looking at a bathing suit. A t-shirt and some good footwear, sneakers, sandals if they have the back straps or water shoes. Uh, that's about it. You know, a lot of people bring a towel. Not totally necessary. Uh, we are covering the main meal lunch, so you really don't need to bring any food or anything unless you have some special dietary problems, restrictions. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's about it. Good attitude. So uh, a few weeks ago, I interviewed someone who um, has a sailing business where they take people sailing out on the ocean. And one of the questions I asked him was, so, you know, you're on a boat with five or six other people and you're in the ocean and you all sort of are depending upon each other in order to, you know, get across the ocean here. And you got to be careful that you don't have too many folks who uh, maybe get seasick or decide not to participate or are real grumpy. So how do you sort of deal with that in your business? Well, and that's a great that's a great question, actually, because. It is a team-building sport, and it does rely on everybody doing their share. Um, but as, especially as we get into the family season, the summertime, uh, the guides can do a lot to keep every, the, the activity well under control. Uh, C6 never really been a problem, I guess, just because it's an open boat, and it's not quite the same as, as swells on the ocean. Um, I'm sure I've had a few people maybe that took Dramamine, but pr pretty much that's usually not a problem. Uh, but, yeah, we try to work together. In the bigger water, which, you know, more often is springtime, can come in the summer, but typically it's spring here on the Hudson, we will uh, be a little closer screening and certainly want to make sure that people are up for the activity they're signing up for. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Have you ever had any uh, uh, challenges with customers that uh, you were just couldn't wait to get to the end of the trip? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that happens everywhere. Uh, some of it can be just certain restrictions that make it difficult. Uh for the most part, I would say that's pretty limited, though. 
Um, we have had some uh, entertaining guests here. We've done some overnight activities with uh, current governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, has been with us. We've had uh, a TV special with Ice T. That was a lot of fun. Um, but for the most part, the everyday people usually find it just to be so much fun, so much adventure, usually not any, no, no major issues. Okay, excellent. So uh, <clears throat> how many, uh, during the height of the season, how many employees do you have? Yeah, so my my small business is a, is a difficult one because uh, the numbers change drastically drastically on who will uh, how many people will be going every day that we offer the trips, but I kind of vary from having two maybe three full time people here that are always available, maybe another one for the office during the busy months, and then I, the rest is call in basis, and I will get up to you know, about ten eleven po- employees on the busy days. And so, how do you find these individuals? I assume they have to have some skill level, just like on patrollers right there's some gotta know how to ski it's it's very similar to the ski uh, the patrol industry there uh in fact a lot of them are on our patrol so we do tend to share that businesses for the same reason yes they do have to have some medical coverage uh, a license to guide the raft etc um sometimes we borrow between companies um but there there's a fair amount of people in the area that and usually again they do work at the ski area so they become available at the same time of year so if I knocked on your door and said, uh, hey, Jeff, I'm interested in becoming a, a guide for you and working for you, is there a training program you put me through? Yes. In your case, Bailey, I'd probably send you down the road to my competitor. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yes, there is. Uh, we do training through the, each individual company. I have a training program set up. Uh, and through that system, you will have to go through the New York State regulations, which require a minimum number of trips and a couple written tests. And so there's training to get your license. And then, of course, we have ongoing training just like any other activity such as this. Yeah. <clears throat> so in, in a, so what type of uh, um, resources do you have? You, so you said you get on a bus, so you must have some buses. You must have some rafts. You have to provide helmets and life jackets. So what's sort of the equipment required that you, that you have? Yep. Well, we didn't walk out back because it's pretty messy with snow and ice this time of year. But there's a lot of stuff out there. I have two buses and a van just for the transportation purposes. Uh, I think there's about 11 uh, of the regular rafts and a bunch of smaller stuff, some kayaks, some canoes, over 100 life jackets, 200 helmets, paddles. Yeah, and you do need to replace them. So, again, capital is a part of this business. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of using really good equipment, so I do spend some good money and take care of the stuff. I have some rafts out there from the NRS company, Northwest, Northwest River Supplies, that are probably 15 years old at this point. That's pretty good. So <clears throat> as uh, let's go back to, to, to Jeff as a young lad. <laughs> Was was there sort of entrepreneurship or business ownership in your family or relatives? Uh, actually, there was. My father was self-employed the majority of his life with uh, selling medical supplies, machinery. Okay, so so there's this notion of, of not working for a larger company and sort of running your own business? Well, I, I'm sure most people have that dream, and, uh, and I, I feel that people probably should go after it, but there is pros and cons to being a small business owner. Yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about the pros first, Jeff. So what what are the things that that excite you about having your own business? And as I mentioned uh, earlier before we started the podcast, uh, some of the pros, some of the cons of pros are on both, or some of the things are on both sides of that list. But uh, a lot of people like to be their own boss, not having to be told what to do. Obviously, is a is a good thing as well as a bad thing. Uh, 
So what are the good things about that and what are the bad things about it? Well, again, being your own boss, you make your own decisions. You don't you don't have to do what somebody else tells you to do other than government regulations, et cetera. Um, but sometimes you have to make decisions and maybe you don't want to. It's Sometimes it's easier to be an employee that punches a clock, such as Ski Patrol, where they pay you and you go do what you have to do. Yes, and the phone's not ringing at 2 in the morning. That's or, correct. You know, the, one of the buses breaks down and now it doesn't start. And and those are common events, by the way, especially with the older buses like I have. Um, but yes, it, you know, and I in my small business, I actually live at the building. Again, same thing, lots of pros and cons. I do pick up a lot of business because I will answer my phone at nine o'clock at night, but I also have my phone ring at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. So how do you, uh, any other pros that you have that you've thought about for having your own business? Well, I'm waiting to see. That depends when somebody finally buys it and see how much money I make. <laughs> You're waiting for that day? Uh, I've made a few attempts. It hasn't gone well yet. Okay. So so if someone knocked on on your door and said, uh, hey, I, I'd be interested in buying your business, you would listen to what they have to say. Yeah, I'd take them out for a quick beer and talk to them. Okay. Well, great. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> I'll have all of Jeff's contact information in the show notes. So if you want to own a beautiful river rafting business on the beautiful Upper Hudson, here's your opportunity. Awesome. Thank you very much, Bela. <laughs> so uh, when, you, uh, when you sort of start your day, what's a typical day for a small business owner who owns this type of outdoor recreation business, right? Because this is sort of the category it's in. A lot of people think about, oh, I want to go be a ice climbing guide, or I want to go be a ski patrolman, or I want to go open my own business. So what's sort of the typical day for you as the business owner? Yes. And again, pros and cons of owning your own business. Uh, whether I want to or not, I need to get up and do things. Um, when I was a guide, I would go to a company and meet customers and take them out and have a fun time. Now I've got a lot of work to do before that all takes place. So yeah, my typical day, it'll depend on time of year, but certainly as we get into the busier mode where we have customers every raft day, uh, I'm usually hustling somewhere around seven, moving some stuff around, getting the paperwork ready for the day. And somewhere around four o'clock, I'm still hanging out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, what are some of the, what are some of the biggest challenges for you personally, having your own business? Yeah, uh, well, I'm starting to push on an age, so I'll tell you right now, all the changes in the world, especially adding computers to everything, is is quite a game to try to learn and keep up with stuff, uh, and you have to. Um, but I'm not great at paperwork, so paperwork and government regulations and taxes and all that is always hard to stay on top of. Um, but one another big one I find is, is being self-motivated. So a lot of times I'm very motivated, and I can work 12 hours, seven days a week, but other times you feel like, well... I think I'd like to take a couple of days off, and those are the hard times to be the business owner. Yeah. Now, when you started this business, you had two partners, I think you said? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, you've been solo now for a while. Yep. Uh, have, have you thought about bringing another partner in at some point in time, or is that something you'd rather not do? I, I'm always interested in sort of how people think about that, because a lot of people I've talked to have partners, and mm -hmm. they love it. Other people have partners, and they love it less so. Yeah, so I... The partnership kind of went afoul because the, the two partners had a fallout. They were best friends. And so one of them took off, moved out west, and I was stuck with the one that didn't help me with the business. Yeah. So once I finally got rid of him, yes, I've considered many times having a, a, a partner. It would lighten things up, I think. But I think 
a lot of people find that in the long run, it's very hard to deal just like relationships. They become stressful at times and you have to be able to work, yeah. work through that. And I've come to the point where I don't have a partner now. Why would I go back to that scene? So I'm going to stay, stay yeah. without. Yeah, because having a partner is a relationship. It certainly is. Right? It's not just a business relationship. Yes. It's an everyday, particularly yep. business like this, every day. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And uh, so do you have any like... You talked about there's certain things you don't like to do. You're not great with paperwork. You're not great with some other things or you don't enjoy doing them. Do you have a full-time employee that's that does some of that stuff for you or does it all fall on your shoulders? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've found over my years I really can't afford to uh, to have that kind of staffing. So I've become the accountant as well as many other things, dishwasher, et cetera. Um, but again, my paperwork skills – uh, they're not bad. I just don't like to do them. So my taxes become Oscar Madison, big box full of receipts, <laughs> which I just got in by the way, folks, a couple weeks early here. So, uh, yeah, I've lost track of that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, as you, as you think about, you know, the next five or 10 years in this business and having this business, what do you, besides this, hopefully someone knocking on your door <laughs> and possibly acquiring the business, um, what other things do you uh, sort of think about trying to do here? Well, I, I've gone up and down in size of business. I've looked at branching out to other areas, and I've kind of come to the realization that I don't mm. want any of that. I'm pretty happy just sitting here with, with the business the way it's running. Uh, so talk about that process a little bit. Sort of what did you do? What areas did you explore and, and, and what sort of factors did you think about in that decision? Well, the first one is the, the growth of just the main portion of the business here, you know, the rafting. And, the, and uh, you know, we went from a small company that ran a couple rafts maximum to now I can run somewhere around 10 full rafts, um, paying for these slots, et cetera. Um, I could go more, but more means a lot more other headaches. Uh, way back when, when we were small, you know, it was much easier to deal with the whole employee situation because it was one or two people. Um, so things things got a lot more difficult. So I've kind of settled out at the two bus level. That's it. If I can't get them up there in two buses, I'll, I'll turn them away. Um, so that's good. That's an important thing, I think, for entrepreneurs to sort of figure out where their sweet spot is. Sure. Right. So it's not always about growth because, you know, in the United States, we often talk about you got to be bigger, got to be bigger, got to be bigger. Well, that may not be the right thing for everybody. And, uh, you know, it, as you said, it not only brings different headaches, but it changes the things that you do. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that people at Walmart, et cetera, are making more money than us small businesses <laughs> here. But I, I think of I think of a lot of times looking back at some of the local uh, builders, contractors that went from one crew to a second crew. Sure, they made more money, but so many more headaches and, and yeah. the, the amount of money by the time they paid out or everything out became pennies. I've seen a lot of them cut back. So that's kind of what I did. I also did kind of branch out though and add some uh, whitewater tubing and some easy rapids across the street as well as some boat rentals, which does pretty good. But I find that once again, I'm doing all the work. Yeah. So from from when you started, you said you had just two, two or three rafts in the beginning? Correct. And now you're up to 10. So how has your role as the owner of the business changed in, in that period of time? That that's actually good to, to note because again I did get into this as being a raft guide and, and really enjoying the guiding part of my job. Uh, I hardly ever go out anymore because I find that from the business standpoint I really need to be here to keep track of things and answering the phones and doing all the prep work to make sure the trips come off okay. So I've kind of gone from a fun raft guide 
job to a typical business owner who has to go to work. Yeah. So, but I still have a lot of fun and I do get out there. Yeah. I've done uh, 11 Grand Canyon extended trips where I've outfitted from here. And uh, I certainly go out in the river. I did kayak a lot until recently, but I go out in the river on the nice days when uh, our friends want to go. But, yeah. So, so you did some trips on the Grand Canyon. So yeah. uh, sort of what, and you did those as a as an outfitter, so no, those those were they're private trips, non commercial. Okay, um, just the fact that I had a lot of gear and experience, I kind of became the person that helped the the group pull everything together. So it's you and a bunch of friends, yes, go yes, out, exactly. go down the Grand Canyon. Yep. Okay. Have, have you ever thought about doing that on a commercial basis? Uh, well, you, as getting back to getting into a company on a river, I believe that one's in the millions. Oh, I see. Oh, really? So, in yes. other words, to do that on a commercial commercial basis, correct? It's going to cost you a few million just uh, to get the yeah, permit and just the access, and then you need a whole lot more equipment. I see. Okay. Um, so, the um, one of the things here, you're dealing with the public all the time, daily, right? every day. You're dealing yep. with the public, and on a busy day, you have 60, 70 customers here? Yeah, we can break, we can hit about 80 on the rafting. Then I'll have a few others with the rentals and the tubing. Yeah. And of course, the phone is ringing while it's going yeah. on. So you always have to be chipper. You always have to smile. You always sort of have to, or at least you have to try. Try. <laughs> Maybe put up with some stuff you don't like, like them throwing their neighbor, people driving by and dumping garbage in your cans or whatever. But you never know who's going to be your customer. So yeah, you got to keep your smile yeah. on. So where did you develop that skill? Is that just something you learn the hard way or starting out well, as a river guide, you had to be, you, I mean, you have a boat of six or seven people and you're, you're being friendly to them and stuff. Sure. I'd say a lot is just my own personality, but I also was in sales for quite a part, part of my life. I used to sell log homes. So oh, okay. I believe that was kind of a similar thing where you, you wanted to be chipper around the customers. Of course, I got to go home at 430 on those yeah. days. Oh yeah. So let's talk about that. <laughs> so uh, we did talk about, you said your dad had his own business. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, um, sort of, where did you grow up? Well, I'm from the New York city area. I did, uh, run up here when I was just out of college and been living up here ever since, which is, uh, somewhere almost 40 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. And, uh, uh, where, where'd you go to college? Uh, there's a few, but I did graduate <laughs> from Oswego state. Oh, okay. Uh, Excellent. Oswego, yep. And what was your degree in? Marine biology. You wanted oh, to oh. stay with the water theme there, you know? Okay, Great. And then what was your first job out of, out of college? <laughs> Mental health. <laughs> I worked for, uh, uh, I think they were called ICFs back then for uh, people that were coming out of the institutions. That's because my sister worked there. I was okay. I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau, but you know it wasn't happening fast enough. Yes, yes. And then after that, so talk about the progression, sort of. Yeah, what some got you to personal reverse? things made me decide to move to the North Country. Yeah. Uh, as you know, it's lovely up here, and who wouldn't want to live up here? So I kind of get up this way, and uh, I was I was selling log homes, and I saw I was looking for things to do, and I saw this ad for a raft guide, and I went to a state department NCON meeting, and of course everybody there was a raft guide except for me, and I asked what to do, and they told me to call somebody, and next weekend I was on the river, and the week after that I was working. Wow, and you sort of fell in love with raft guiding yeah the, the the back then it was all the springtime only and it was it was all the thrill and excitement i worked first for a company whitewater challengers and did about 10 years with them on you know weekends etc did some other rivers uh, went out to the black and Watertown, and then i uh ran a company down the road called wild waters 
And that's where things started moving towards the business ownership. And then, of course, I, like I said, on that canyon trip, I met yeah. my partners. So Wild Waters, you, you, were, you ran that yes. business for a while? Yep, that's correct. So that sort of gave you the experience of what it's like to run a business, understanding all the facets of, of one of these businesses. Yep, yep. Actually, the, the job was fairly similar, a little less involved, of course, as far as the, the, the sales and end of it. But I did get to go home at 4.30 on those days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, because one of the questions a, a lot of our listeners have is, you know, many of our listeners want to be entrepreneurs. They want to own their own business. And they, and they, should I do it now, as soon as I graduate from college or as soon as I'm done with my education? Or should I go work for somebody that's maybe in a similar business, like you did at, at Whitewater Challengers, gain some experience, make the mistakes there, <laughs> or, at least, or at least make some of the mistakes, and then start your own business. What are your thoughts on that? You know, What's your advice? I, I would say that's obviously up to them, and we've seen all different things in our worlds these days. But my personal would be, yes, I would go for a few years' experience first. And like you say, why not make mistakes for somebody else? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so as you, as you sort of uh, – what, what's the thing you enjoy the most about running your business? Um, I, I think that, that I chose a, a fun business. So I think that I, I, even though I, I do a lot of times I have to work hard, I still think I have a lot of fun as a person in this world in my business part of my days. So I would say the fact that I'm still enjoying being on rivers and going camping and doing the stuff that people like to do on their weekends yeah. off. And you're selling fun. I am right? selling I mean, fun. You're selling fun. That's what we're looking for. So, you know, that's a nice thing to sell. Right? <laughs> yeah. And right? more often than not, it works great. Yeah. And what's the thing you like the least about owning a business? Well, again, I, like I mentioned before, you know, the paperwork and, and all the, the diligence you have to do where you really should be doing it regular. I don't. But uh, motivation. I'm, I'm fairly self-motivated, so I find most of the times – Everything goes great, but there's times where I really don't want to go to work on that Sunday, and those are the days you just got to get up and bear with it, even though it's been your 14th day in a row. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would think, you know, I don't know. There's pros and cons are always going to be to everything, whether it be your job or your business. Uh, I think self-ownership is, is really nice because it is yours. Yeah. So what are the what are the biggest challenges in finding employees for you? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh Usually the best message is to try to borrow them from other other people that have already trained them. But obviously uh, they need to have the skill to do the actual job. But they also need the personality because we are in the business. It is tourism. We are here to, to make people have a fun time. So there's a lot to that. I, I think I've just been lucky. I think between patrol and being living up here in this community, I run across so many people that are just great at the job. And hopefully they want to work for us. So you, you've said an interesting thing <clears throat> in that several other small business owners have said this, particularly ones that deal with customers and everybody deals with customers of one sort or another, sure. uh, or just people getting along within the business is that personality is a large element when they look to hire individuals. They want to have, you know, certain type of skill set there, ability to get along with people. Um, and it sounds like that's really important to you guys as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I mean, there, there, there's the one part of the, especially again, getting back to the Hudson river guided trip, one part of it is, you know, running as safe as possible trip and having an enjoyable whitewater ride. But I think there's also a lot there that has to do with the entertainment value, which is where the guides can really make or break their 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 own personality with what information they can. You know, some people may want to learn about the area. Others may want jokes. 
So uh, that can make or break a good day, having a good guide. Because it's, it's one guide in a boat with, what, six or eight other yeah, people? Anywhere from two to nine, ten okay. people. Yes, correct. So that's kind of, that's sort of their environment yeah. for that trip. And, and, and in the summertime, they, they're together for a while. You know, with a yeah. lunch break on shore, they get to stretch and stuff. But other than that, they're in, you know, they're out there for about five hours. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and so I'm sure there's uh, been on occasion uh, maybe some that didn't work out. So how do you uh, how do you deal with that? What's what's been the challenge there? Uh, we're, we're still on the staff, I assume. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, there's always there's always going to be employees. Uh, the the easy part for me is that very few or mine are like what I would call full time. I only have a couple of those, and they've been with me for years. So we seem to work our problems out when we have them. Friday night hash outs. Um, the others are such part timers that I can just not call them. Oh, I so, see. So I have an easy way out. I see. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't call them I'll back. call you when I need you again, and yeah. the phone never rings. Exactly. I Found see. somebody else. I see. All right. So uh, what uh, what other things uh, about this business do you think make it unique as, a pa- as opposed to owning some other, other type of business? Well, I, I always find that my problems are worse than others, <laughs> but obviously we all know that that's not true. So I know that everybody in business faces all kinds of, of troubles, especially these days. Um, I would say what I what I think might be a little bit unique, but it's probably not, is is the fact that our business is so unpredictable. Like I could be sitting here on Friday at 7 p.m., only needing two people to guide, and that's how many I hired for that day. And by the next morning, I need three new guys because I got all these people. I got no food for them. So there's a lot of hustle trying to trying to – deal with last minute reservations which is the way where the country's going you know our reservation system is open they can book online right up to 24 hours before the trip date for most most of our programs so i think that that seems to make it difficult that i have to have a trained uh, hopefully good individual for each raft that goes down the river and then of course there's the other times when you have four of them hired and the bus didn't show up with 30 people on it right right so you know that makes it interesting uh from an employee perspective, right? So I'm sort of on call and I need to be ready when you call me. So what are there, are there special things that you do for your employees to sort of uh, get them to want to do that for you versus one of the other rafting companies? Yes. You have, you have a fair amount of competition up here, right? There's yes, a- we do. We have more com- competition here than most most of the rivers <laughs> yeah. that, that run, especially these smaller numbers that the Hudson runs compared to the Arkansas yeah. and Colorado or something like that. Uh, and yes, it is tough, and every company handles it differently. Uh, I pretty much, once I make the commitment, usually hopefully within a couple of days before their actual work date, I've pretty much committed to paying them. Um, so I'll give them a couple options when they show up. You know, hey, sorry, I don't have enough rest today, but... Uh, I'm going to pay you, but here's the rake and here's a paintbrush. These uh-huh. are the things I'm looking to get done. Yeah. Or maybe, hey, you know, if you have something else you'd rather do, here's 20 bucks, go away. And then, of course, uh, I try to keep the environment here at Adirondack Adventures really, really good for the staff. So they want to work here. So we do tend to have some nice little parties out back on the brook. We got some, uh, a little a tiki bar built up with some, uh, I shouldn't even put that out on the airwaves. Um, with a, a flat top grill, a gas grill. So we'll do, you know, a couple nights a week. We'll do some food, maybe some movies, whatever. 
And that's, <clears throat> excuse, <clears throat> excuse me, and that's for your employees. Yes, that's just, right? yes, exactly. That's sort of building that culture within your within Yeah, your you, you, you know, I, I find, and I've been told this at other places such as Ski Patrol, that happy employees are good employees. Well, I, I believe that to be true. I think if these guys are enjoying their job and having a good time, they'll tend to want to show up for work and not call in sick on me at the last second. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, how big a, a wet role does weather play in whether people show up or not? Uh, a big one. Uh, more so all the time. The, my problem with the weather is not so much the actual weather, it's the weather reports. Uh, by the way, everybody, 50% rain also means 50% not rain. <laughs> so, uh, no, when they, the reports come in that it's going to be cloudy and rainy tomorrow, I get some people that don't want to go rafting and come to find out it's an 80-degree sunny day. So then they want their money back, by the way. Yeah. So when I make a reservation, I, I got to put a deposit down. That's correct. And that's one of the main reasons is we can't have all those people backing out and then have all the food and staff sitting here. Right. 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 Okay. Um, so, Jeff, we've been we've been chatting here now for uh, over a half hour. Woo. Yeah. Uh, it's been really fun. Feels like I have to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, I said like a true entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, are there things that I should have asked you that I haven't about the business? Uh, nothing that I can really think of. I, I like that opportunity. I appreciate that. But I, I think that was a great conversation. I okay. Put it out so there. I, I got to hit you up for one funny story. Can okay. you tell one funny rafting story? A funny raft story. Necess- not necessarily that happened to you, but you know, maybe to a customer or, or something. I'm sure there's plenty. I'm trying to think which I can tell here on on live yeah, right <laughs> yeah well I can't really come up with anything fast on my own business so I'll throw out a, a little Grand Canyon story one day yeah sure so it was a nice full moon and it was pretty bright out and a bunch of us were camping outside under these little rock ledges and hanging out talking it was about midnight or whatever the full moon and one of my uh, friends walked by very casually said uh, hey Jeff I'm just gonna go check on that raft that's floating away out in the eddy and walked by us <laughs> I thought to myself, did he just say our raft is floating away? <laughs> yes, it was, folks. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of other stories, but you caught me on that one. A little off guard. And when a raft floats away on the Grand Canyon. It takes all your stuff with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's critical. Yeah, especially all that beer you bought. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Hey, thank you very much for doing the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for sharing your story with our listeners. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate you coming up here and doing it. Bela, that was an interesting story, and uh, you've got a lot of shared history with Jeff, but he's taken a slightly different path than you have in the, the, the last 20 years. What were your thoughts on Jeff's story? Well, you know, I think it's interesting, and in many ways it sort of reminded me of the podcast we did a few weeks ago with Andy Schell. Uh, passion as a business, uh, living the business every day, uh, and, you know, the, the struggles of uh, how do you exit so let's just talk about those one at a time. So let's first dive into this passion as a business, right? Jeff clearly is an outdoor person, uh, and his, his life is his business. So his business is located in his house. Uh, you know, the front door of his house, which in a, what used to be the living room, is, is the office for the business. Uh, that's where the customers come in, and they register, and they sign up. He's got his rafts uh, stacked up in the backyard. He's got uh, the, the school, old school buses that he transports uh, his customers uh, uh, in, uh, parked in the backyard. So his business and his life is all sort of intermingled. Uh, and I think that, uh, uh, as you could hear in his voice, uh, sometimes gives him challenges because it's really difficult and challenging to get a day off. 
but at the same time, as he said, he's we were sitting there in his uh, office there, looking out over the Hudson River and uh, the snow and the cover the snow covered mountains. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses, and uh, it seems to be working for Jeff. Um, but I think there are some challenges there. What do you think, Mike? Agreed, Bela. I think you know the the benefits are obvious. It's something that you're good at. It's something that generally relates to customers. Uh, people view you as an expert. Um, you're you're you have a network in place because you know people who've been doing this because you're doing this. I mean, we've we've seen this again and again. And yeah, having a business that's based on your passion really does work. But boy, there are some big challenges with it. And maybe if there's some of our listeners that are thinking about getting into a passion kind of based business uh, or a lifestyle business, um, that there might be some good lessons that we can start to draw from the pattern of these interviews that we've done um, over the last year and a half, Bela. And the first thing is, 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 and you've used this when we've talked, is this idea of building enterprise value. And that means you should aim to build value in the business that's separate from your identity and what you do. So if you can look at yourself just as labor that can be removed and you build a set of knowledge and competencies and processes and things that somebody else can buy the business and walk into and run the business without you, that that is always the best recipe for, A, being able to exit, right, in a way that's not so messy, but B, also, I think, maintaining some semblance of work-life balance, right, where it's not so intertwined with you that you have so much stress. We know that stress is a big issue. Again, this is another pattern, right? We've talked about mental health issues. We've talked about uh, substance abuse. We've talked about um, the stresses of, of making payroll and all these things. This is a Being an entrepreneur it takes a toll. And putting into place some clear structures where you're building not just a business around you, but you're building an enterprise with a structure and with processes that other people can can run when you're not there, that's really the key. So I think this is a really important conversation that you had with Jeff, and it's nice that it really brought this issue to the forefront because I think it makes a nice set of talking points for our, for our listeners, Bela. What do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike. You know, if you don't if you don't sort of build in those processes and get other people uh, engaged in, in those processes and understand how to sort of run the business, you can never take a day off, yep. right? Yep. So it's not just about selling the enterprise. It's also about being able to take three or four days off and not having to close the business for three or four days. And yep. you see this all the time. You see it in restaurants. You see it in bakeries. You see it in, in all sorts of, you know, these types of businesses where it's you know a single entrepreneur, and and uh, they might have some employees, but many times as an entrepreneur, it's a challenge to give up control. It's a challenge to delegate, and that's a learned skill for many people, and that's something we can all work on. Because as you sort of uh, delegate, uh, other people learn how to do things, and then it enables you to focus on the real value that you bring to the business, and it also enables you to take a day or two off and the business still runs. You know, that's one of the beauties I've always thought of manufacturing businesses, right? Once you get the factory set up, right, the factory sort of runs itself and, and, and the widgets you make come out the back end and UPS picks them up and delivers them to your customers. And, uh, and you, as maybe the owner, can go away for a week or two. But in some of these other businesses, that's a real challenge, and uh, I think, you know, you could hear Jeff struggle with that 
and I think it is a good common theme that we have now seen, whether it be with Andy Shell's business uh, or some of the other ones we've talked to in the past uh, and with this business as well. Uh, you got to figure that out. Otherwise, you're you're a prisoner to your business. Yeah. Let's drill down a little bit. So one aspect here is trust. Uh, how can you develop employees that you trust to run it in your absence? This is as we talk about in you know the theoretical world of academics, the agency problem, right? You're hiring somebody to act and behave in the best interest of the organization, right? And in your best interest, even though they're going to act on their own self-interest. So there's this challenge here that, yeah, this person's going to treat the customers as well uh, as they would treat them if I was standing right here or as well as I would treat them. These people aren't going to steal from me. They're not going to shortchange the customers or me, right? And this is a big challenge, right? So how do you incentivize? So there's two aspects, I think, to this from my um, experience. One is selecting the right people. And, you know, go back to what you started with, Bela, and, and, and what Jeff said. Hey, this is a, a transient pool of employees, right? Hiring is a challenge because it's a transient pool of employees. You're not hire, having the same person working full-time all year for years and years so that you can build some trust, right? It's a tough pool. And then how do you incentivize or reward these people to make sure that they're incentivized to act in the best interests of customers and you when you're gone? Or is it the kind of thing, and I know somebody who does this, they plant a camera, right, in full view, everybody knows it, and I'm watching, even when I'm away, I'm on my cell phone watching you, right, and that's not uh, the, the right answer. So I think it's this this combination, these three legs of the stool of trust, selection, and incentives or rewards, right, that solve this agency problem and can help a single entrepreneur running a lifestyle business bring on a, the right person or people so that they can step in and, and run things without, without the, the entrepreneur physically yeah. there 24-7. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's even, as you mentioned, it, it, this notion of the seasonality of the business, right? Th- this business only exists between you know, May and September for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you have to find employees who have other seasonal jobs. And as Jeff mm-hmm. mentioned, there's probably a third of the ski patrollers at Gore are also river guides during mm-hmm. the summer, right? So it, th- those Makes two sense. are complementary to mm-hmm. each other. So that's a good pool to go, go to. Uh, uh, but it does make it, an, uh, I think, a little extra harder than if you're running a business that's, you know, 12 months of the year and, and you can hire full-time folks. Yeah, and uh, you have to have enough cash flow to pay for not only, now it's paying for your expenses, right, and your income, but now you're providing, again, you get into this cycle of, of you know making payroll right because this other right. person's relying right. on the business for payroll right and you know if you look at other businesses where there's a, a lot of turnover uh, for whatever reason if you look at i think if you look at the su- successful ones they have have really uh made processes out of everything so they they have a program i'll call it or a system for training new employees so someone new comes in Here's the things you go through. You set expectations, and 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 it really sets up this process for consistency of customer experience. And I think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of these small businesses can kind of learn from the bigger ones who do that. Right? You look at some big businesses like a McDonald's or a Burger King or any of these sort of folks. You know, they have high turnover, and and but they have taken. Uh, to have training programs and processes for bringing new people on and getting them up to speed and, and ready. 
and uh, to serve customers. So I think that uh, that's another thing that some small businesses could draw from. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. Interesting. So yeah, I think that that this is a neat a neat way to think about this this kind of disentangling the enterprise from the entrepreneur and at the same time buying some work life balance or some separation and creating some value that makes it easier to exit. You know it is. It's the idea that hey, it's one thing if you want to buy buy my business, but it's another thing if you buy my business and you're buying my house and my driveway and my pole barn and right <laughs> Um, it's right. an interesting challenge. So, so when you're setting these things up, remember we talked to we've talked to some lawyers over the last year and a half, and lawyers really give this this idea of really setting up the structure of the business clearly, right? And this might be another another kind of um, kind of module as you're setting up a business to really make sure that you're setting up structures and processes so that the business is separable from the person that you're creating an enterprise and that will give you as the entrepreneur some peace of mind right that you can have work-life balance and that you can exit out of this if you want to or need to and it also gives i think potentially if you have investors or something like this also some peace of mind that um that this is an enterprise that has value on its own and it's um it's kind of i don't know maybe bridging the gap between a lifestyle business and an enterprise right yeah, but I think even in a lifestyle business, it's important, right? Because it it's it's what's gonna it's it's that thing that's gonna give you that balance in life. It's the thing that builds enterprise value. These are all related. Yeah, right. That's the beauty of this, right? So it's sort of as as you as you head in this direction, all of these things kind of congeal and come together for you. And and if you don't, you know, if you get sick for three days, you got to close the business. <laughs> right? right, and that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> You know? It doesn't make sense for anybody, anybody. your so, customers, right. your employees, yourself. Right? right. So you got to figure out how to how the business can run if you're not there. And I think that's a challenge, right? It's a difficult thing to do. And uh, I, I but I think it has lots and lots of value uh, in, in, in many different ways, as, as we just discussed. Yeah. So you should plot this out before you start running your business. Right. Is how do I take days off? Right. What happens when I sell the business? Right. And make sure that as you're thinking about growing this, starting and growing this small business, that you've put these ideas in place. Um, it doesn't have to be so formal that it's in writing in a 100 page and 20 page document, but that you've got a clear, might be on a, on a napkin, right? But a plan on how you keep this, this work-life balance in order and how you keep this enterprise values separate right. in, some, in some degree than, than from the person. Right. And if you think about Jeff's business here, right, his guides, his his river guides, they're with the customer for five to six hours. Right. They're in a boat for five to six hours. Yeah, a small boat, right? Paddling down the upper Hudson River. So through the through the white water and the rapids. Now, so they have to be safe, they have to have the right skills, but that river guide is gonna have the biggest impact on the experience that your customers have. And, and, and how your customers are going to talk about their experience to other people. So I, I just think it's absolutely important that, that you sort of sort through that and pick these people the right way and, and set expectations of your employees of what they need to do and how, they're, how they need to act. Yeah, agreed. And that's a challenge, but maybe that's a, a conversation for another pork, uh, podcast in terms of kind of HR for very small businesses and, and seasonal businesses, right? In terms of 
of getting that mix when you have a, a pool of very, I'm sure the characters that pass through his doors, right, are varied and interesting and diverse um, with a neat mix of skills. Um, but it'd be, it's nice even for small businesses to systematize these processes and have criteria, selection criteria in place and have an interview process in place and have a reward system that's structured for success. And you don't need to be a big business to do that. Uh, there's lots of tools out there that small businesses can use to can leverage some of the things that we've learned over the last 75 years in the, in the U.S. at least of hiring people, <laughs> right, for, that, that are effective. Yeah. So what do you think? Should we wrap this one up? Sure. I think it's always a good time to wrap it up. Uh, takeaways today. You know, one is we really focus in this idea of passion as a business and this idea of uh, separating out the enterprise from the entrepreneur and creating processes and structures so that you can take a few days off and that the, when it comes time to sell the business, you can sell it. So I think this is kind of a neat, um, a, a neat way to wrap up what we talked about today. Uh, listeners, we're happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week, and we hope that you found uh, the last 45 minutes or so interesting and thought-provoking. At this point, we'd like to once again thank Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. If you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? For more information, contact Rich Honan. He's a Phillips Lytle partner, and you can reach him at 518-618-1225, or you can email him at rhonan at phillipslytle.com. You can always find his contact info in our show notes. Thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed, suggestions about topics or potential guests for the future, hey, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And hey, please hit that subscribe key on your uh, app, podcast app. Uh, it really helps us a lot. We have a lot of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Sounds great to me, Bela. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. Have a great week, everyone.